We're in James chapter 4, and I have a question for me, and I hope you ask it for you as well. Am I a friend of the world, or am I a friend of God? And James says, I can't be both. He says, it is not possible to be a friend of the world and a friend of God. And it isn't what we say that is our answer. It's who we are and what we do that gives the true response. Am I a friend of the world or am I a friend of God? Jesus, we know what he said to his disciples in John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's interesting. Think about this in the context of what we'll be reading in James. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So am I a friend of the world or am I a friend of God? James says in chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, you make yourself an enemy of God. What a strong statement. Um, We're not to be conformed to the world, Romans 12. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We've been called out of this present age. In James 1.27, we remember that he defined true and undefiled religion in the sight of God. How can James know what's true and undefiled in the sight of God? Because he was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he said this, visiting orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A stain is a spot or a blemish like spilling grape juice on your shirt Um, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, speaks of something else. The world is presented differently than just a stain in the believer's life. It's the believer's adversary. And to be friends with it comes at a high cost. That the world can stain a believer's life is one thing. James chapter 1, verse 17, being a friend of the world, or worldliness, if you will, to the nth degree, is another That identifies those who name the name of Christ but are not genuinely His, even calling um, them enemies of God. The world and all that's in the world is the believer's enemy. 1 John chapter 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so what James is saying in chapter 1 verse 19, I believe it was, 17, it, what James says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, 17, rather, is that the world can stain us. What he says in chapter 4 is that if we're friends of the world, we're demonstrating that we're really not gods. All right? And John says the same thing. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but of the world, and the world's passing away, with, along with its desires, whoever does the will of God abides forever. In James chapter 4, he speaks of a predicament in order to address a root cause. The root cause is being a friend of the world. Let's take a look at the predicament. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
what causes quarrels and cause, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Nowhere in the Bible do we find God calling those who follow him that are in his family his enemies. And so James is presenting a text to the 12 tribes that are in churches scattered abroad to evaluate themselves. Is your faith genuine? Are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? And you can't be both is what he says. He asks a question. What causes quarrels and fights among you? The among you, those 12 tribes scattered abroad, um, speaking of them in gathered context, likely local assemblies, churches. The second question, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The passions that are at war within you would be desires, lusts, sensual pursuits, not just sexual, but that would be included as well. It comes from the root word that gives us our word, hedonistic. Self-indulgent, self-focused, I consider me and only me, is what he's saying. What causes quarrels and fights among you? You self-focused, self-indulgent, your self-focused, self-indulgent pursuits, the focus of me in my life. I'm primary, I'm the most significant and important one. In its extreme, he says it can lead to murder. Murder, not only the taking of a life, but also murderous hatred by definition. Extremely destructive behavior. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. While that can happen, um, murder, it can happen. We're going to look at a biblical biblical example of it as, as well. Most might not take the life of someone else just because they get upset with them. But it probably depends on how much we get squeezed and how much we get threatened. We might not know what we would do in certain situations. But Jesus raised the bar to that, didn't he? He said, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to to hell fire. Um, And so he raised the bar even higher. I wanted to give us an example from scripture of a self-focused passion or desire that resulted in murder. And to do that, I went all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. And you know the story. Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She bore again, this time his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat. The Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was angry and his countenance fell. 
So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But what he couldn't do was get over his brother's offering being accepted by the Lord and the Lord accepting it and his not being accepted by the Lord. Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Verse 8, it came to pass that when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. It's the first recorded murder in Scripture. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother cries out to me from the ground. So you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its fruit to you. A a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And so he took his brother's life because of me first, that hedonistic life is all about me. And why didn't he accept what I gave and he accepted what my brother gave? Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out of this, uh, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond of the earth. It shall happen that when anyone finds me, they will kill me. So when death hadn't even been spoken of yet, murder hadn't even been spoken of yet, now he's killed his brother and says, other people are going to kill me. And then God says, no, they're not, because I'm not going to let them. The Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, if they should have, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Genesis 19 tells of the story, you remember it, I'm sure, of the godless passions of the men of Sodom. And they beat on the door and tried to find their way in that they could have their way with those that were visiting Lot's house. And the the angel of the Lord caused them to be blinded. And even in their blindness, they groped for the door so that they could find um, those that they wanted and have the passions fulfilled that they had. We could tell of many, many other biblical examples as well as examples in our day. Maybe we don't take somebody's life but I hate them. I can't stand them. Or let's just tone it down a little bit to make it more Christian. I'm just going to avoid them because if I have to encounter them, I won't do well. So I just walk around them. I choose not to speak to them or I give them a cold shoulder. But do you know what we don't do? We're not reconciled to them. And that's the goal is that there's reconciliation. Anything short of reconciliation misses the mark. As a believer, anything else would leave me stained by the world. Now, James gives us an example of those who are friends of the world, but he also tells us don't be stained by the world. It's one thing to be a friend of the world, but even if I'm not the world's friend, I can be stained by the world. And I'm going to read to you in a bit some examples that some of the folks in our congregation gave us of being stained by the world. The second thing James says about one's passions being at war within them is this. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. That can happen in a home, can't it? That can happen in a church. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. 
An example of coveting because of passions at war within could be Potiphar's wife. You remember the story from Genesis chapter 39. Joseph had risen up and he was in charge of all of Potiphar's home. Joseph was handsome in form, it says in verse 6. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me, excuse me, but he refused. Some things happened and he said, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It isn't against you, it would be. It isn't against me, it would be that as well. It isn't against Potiphar, it would be that also. But his concern was, How can I do this wickedness and sin against God? But she didn't care. Because she coveted and desired and her passions were strong within her. One day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment, said, lie with me. But he left the garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And you know the rest of the story. He ended up in prison because Potiphar probably knew that she was telling a story because he didn't have him killed. Um, but the result was that he was in prison. So her coveting became lying, which became bearing false witness as well. And James says, why is it that that's happening among you? Are you friends of the world? Another example could be Ammon and King David's desire for his half-sister Tamar, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 13. Another would be Absalom, David's son, who would seek his father's life in order to become king. It doesn't have to be something sexual. It's a, it's a strong desire that causes me to play out and work out things that are contrary to God. The thought came to my mind while I was studying this this week of this. I think and I wonder if gender confusion might be at least or include coveting, among other things. I see someone else. I want to be what they have. I don't want to have what I have. And so I begin to pursue those other things as well. But James is talking to the church. Those within, within the church coveting and not getting what they wanted and, and, and the end result was fighting and quarreling. And then he says you do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And, and of course we know what Jesus said, Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Seek you shall find, knock it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks it will be opened. And it seems like James anticipated that thought and adds, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And so he's back to the passions that cause murder, that cause coveting, and now I'm asking things from God, but I'm asking so that I'll have fulfilled the things that I desire to be fulfilled. One of the reasons our prayer might not be answered is because we ask to spend it on our own passions. Now we'll cloak that in recognizing Jesus' words. Maybe we say something like, well, it just might not be God's timing. Well, it might not be, and it could be that you're asking to spend something on your own passions as well, and we won't get those things that we ask for. Hopefully, you've not been stained by the world in this way. And then he works into friendship with the world. Look at verse 4, and he says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. You adulterous people, a really strong statement. Matter of fact, Donna puts the memory verses that are in our bulletin 
on the sign out front, and that's what this is going to be this week. But just, just not to tone it down, not to not declare truth, I said, why don't you leave that you adulterous people off of it, and let's just put don't be a friend of the world this time. Because out there, I'm not going to be able to explain that the adulterous people is a spiritual adultery, which could include adultery as well. Um, and so I thought that might save a few windows around our church. <laughs> You adulterous people, very strong language. The rest of the verse helps us see that he's talking about spiritual adultery, which could include and does include physical adultery as well. He's saying you are claiming a spiritual walk with God, but in reality you're stepping out on him. That's what he's saying to those who profess to the name of Christ among the 12 tribes scattered abroad that were congregated in churches. You're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but in reality, you're no better than Israel. You're stepping out on God and you're, and you're committing spiritual adultery as well. That's what James is accusing them of doing. Wanting to sit on the fence with a foot on the spiritual side and a foot on the world side, James says it is not possible. It's like being a double agent. You ever read anything about double agents? It's like being a double agent. And the one that maybe the older ones of us might recognize is the name of Matahari, the famous female double agent from World War I, a spy who pretended to act for one country, but in reality she was acting on behalf of the enemy. We don't get to be spiritual double agents. What it does is it reveals the genuine intent of our heart. And James says, if we're friends of the world, then we're enemies of God. I can be stained by the world, but I'm not a friend of the world. A, a genuine believer can't be. James 4.4 4 says this, friendship of the world is enmity with God. You can't have it both ways. Enmity with God or hostility or hatred with God. Verse 4 requires us to answer the question, who is James saying this to? Is it to all believers who might fall to the pressure of the world from time to time? Or is it to some within the church who, whose life is so consistently characterized by worldliness that they demonstrate that they aren't genuine believers? It's important to note here, and I want you to hear this, that James's word is to be used as a self-evaluation. It's Jerry reading it and evaluating myself. It isn't me reading it and evaluating someone else. It's used for a self-evaluation. Some within the church can walk like and talk like and say the right things in the right crowds. God knows everyone's heart. Peter said this, False prophets rose among the people. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. In their greed they will exploit you with false words. They have eyes full of adultery, cannot cease from sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. James isn't talking about just the false teachers, but they would be included. Jude says this, that there are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, spots in your love feast. We're going to have a love feast downstairs today. Spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, their clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Jesus spoke of tares among the good grain in Matthew chapter 13. This easily takes us back to the depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Even though they said, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Being an enemy with God is not a good place to be. If the invitation this morning 
was this. Does anyone here want to lift their hand and say, I would like to be God's enemy? I'm, I'm confident in this kind of a setting that there wouldn't be any hands that are lifted. That wouldn't be true in our world because there are many who don't believe in God and don't acknowledge who God is. Being an enemy of God is not a good place. Remember, though, at one time we were enemies of God. Romans chapter 5 says this, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath, from wrath through him. That's what we were headed for, wrath. Um, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If you're here this morning and you know about Jesus, but he's not part of who you are in your life, that you recognize he died on the cross, not just for sin in general, but for me, it would be a great day to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And if God is working in your heart, um, let him draw you to him. This is your standing without him, his wrath and being hell bound. But in verse 10, he says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, Satan is declared as God's adversary, his enemy. An enemy is someone or some entity that sets itself against another. And it's someone or some entity that sets itself against another. Something this modern day that would be very easy to understand would be Russia against Ukraine. Don't hear me say because I don't know. All I know is what America media allows me to know about Ukraine. I'm not saying Ukraine is the good guy. Obviously, Russia is the bully, all right? They're the enemy. And so all of a sudden, we have a war that goes on and on. Another example, like it or don't like it, would be the Democratic Party and Donald Trump. They are enemies of one another. An enemy is someone who sets themselves against another. And James says that if you are a friend of the world, you set yourself against God. You become his enemy, or you are his enemy. Jesus would say in Matthew 12, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. James 4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Christian life is described as a battle, a spiritual war where to put on the full armor of God. You might say, my life isn't that way. It's not a battle. Maybe you're not in the battle. One of James's purposes in writing to the scattered Jews believing, believers is to give them a tool, a truth-filled tool to evaluate, evaluate their spiritual life. It was why John penned 1 John, uh, the small epistle that has five chapters as well. I wanted to read to you some ways that some of you said, I'm being too friendly with or stained by the world. Ways that I'm too friendly with or stained by the world. Material possessions and physical comfort are more important to me than spiritual values. Now, we wouldn't say that because we know it's not the right answer. But if God pricks our heart when we hear that, maybe that's where we live. When I pursue the American dream more than my role in fulfilling the gospel. When acceptance is more important to me than lovingly speaking the truth in, in different settings. When I only surround myself with believers because I don't want to be contaminated by the world. 
When am I being too friendly with or stained by the world? When godless TV and movies and music cease to offend me. Media seldom, one person wrote, media seldom contributes anything good in my life. Provocative images, irrational, excuse me, irritating political news, disheartening current events, and on and on and on. The pursuit of an ever youthful appearance. That one came from a gal. Could come from a guy as well. The world is staining me. I'm too friendly. The pursuit of an ever youthful appearance. By giving up on the desire to do right because of the relentless temptation that comes my way. And then I just make excuses and justify why I do what I do. A strong desire for things A stronger desire for things rather than relationships and jealousy towards others who have more. A lifestyle that's me focused rather than denying myself. When when, when somehow money always seems to rise to the top of my pursuits. Those are answers that some of us gave of when can we tell if we're being stained by the world. To be friendly with the world is not a place to be. That requires repentance. To be stained by the world, repentance unto salvation. To be stained by the world requires repentance as well, but we can be washed. We can be cleansed. Christian life, excuse me. Uh, I wrote, and I'm going to finish with this. Seven questions. How can I know if I'm a friend of or I'm so friendly that I've been stained by the world, and the, and the cost is extremely high. And I'm going to have this posted on our website so that you might be able to go back to these. Seven questions on how I know uh, that I am a friend of the world, or that I'm so friendly that I've been stained by the world. And some of them have a couple of comments. The first one is this. Do I cultivate a lifestyle that resembles the world in things like my fashion, or my interests, or my pursuits? And a way to evaluate that is to evaluate what ratio of my time investment is worldly and what ratio is is of God's interest. Notice that it doesn't have to be godless things. It can be okay moral things, but is it taking first place in my life? I think that would be I think that would be an idol. Um, just because you're working a job doesn't mean that your job isn't as unto the Lord. If whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord, that fits in the spiritual realm. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have to be preacher. You can be a carpenter unto the Lord. That's what he wants for you. That's what you ought to do. Do I cultivate a lifestyle that resembles the, the, the world? The second one is this. What really excites me? Not what do I say excites me, but what really excites me? Does the flash and glamour of the world drowned out the spiritual what am i seeking first do i seek pleasure first is that what excites me do i seek entertainment first do i live for the weekend do i seek social media first do i seek sports first do i seek controversial political news first what really excites me be contrary to the lord another would be this do i find myself undoing or rationalizing scripture in order to justify the social norms of the day? Do I find myself undoing or rationalizing some scripture in order to justify why I believe or my position in social norms of the day? An example, we live in a different day than Moses or the Apostle Paul. So the way they addressed moral issues it should be different than the way I address moral issues. I would be undoing scripture or justifying why I say what I say. Or because I can worship God anywhere, it's okay 
most of the time for me not to come together with other believers because I can worship God anywhere. So I'm undoing something in order to justify a social norm of the day. What characterizes my life? What characterizes my life as a how can I discern if I'm friendly with the world or I'm stained by the world? What characterizes my life? Is it characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or is it characterized by biblically perverted relationships, arguing and bickering, drunkenness and envy, and the list could go on? And I just pull those out of Galatians chapter 5. He speaks of the works of the flesh first, and then he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. The the fifth one, I think I missed a number up here. The fifth one is, who or what defines my role in life? Who or what defines my role in life as a boy or a girl, as a man or a woman, as a husband or a wife, as a father or a mother? Does popular opinion define my role in life? Does Taylor Swift define my role in life? Does Kim Kardashian define my role in life? Okay, man, your turn. Does Patrick Mahomes define my role in life? I have never heard Patrick Mahomes say one thing spiritual about God. Popular Christianity, does it does it define whatever the popular Christian opinion is, or does God's word define my role in life? And the last one that I have is how do I respond to difficulties and disappointments? Do I respond in the Lord with the characteristics that are consistent with what Scripture says I am as a Christian, or do I fight and quarrel? And now we're back to James chapter 4. Am I friends with the world? That is not a good position to be in, because if I'm a friend of the world, I have set myself up as an enemy of God. Am I stained by the world? That's not good either. I can be a believer and be stained by the world. It demands and requires repentance as well, uh, but I can have that relationship restored. Religion that is pure, James says, and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans, widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 4, verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If that is what God has burdened you with your heart this morning, this would be a great time to repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. You're our creator. You're our God. You get to make the definitions. And you said, if we're friends with the world, we're your enemies. I can't imagine anybody in this place wanting to be an enemy of God. And yet the world just kind of sucks us in and lies to us and confuses us and distorts things. Father, I pray that your spirit this morning would clarify. And if there's someone here that would say, I know I'm a friend of the world, help them recognize that that places them as an enemy of God and even grant them repentance that they would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, as your children, by your grace, we understand that, If we've been stained, give us eyes to see, the honesty to admit it, the conviction to confess, and to restore the relationship that we have with you by grace. Thank you that your spirit is able to do that in the heart of every single person, regardless of where we walk and what we've been doing. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.